0: Welcome back to Designers Drink, the podcast where I sit down with a fellow designer and discuss inspiration, the creative process, and our definitions of success. I'm your host, Sam Fagan, owner of Design It Please, and this is part two of my conversation with Chris Cashdollar. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I recommend hitting pause and listening to it first. It's a nice introduction to who Chris is, and we got into some nerdy mixology tips for martinis. So, if you have listened to part one, thanks for coming back. Since the second half of this conversation does not include our original drink discussion, and I don't think I should have a drinkless episode, we're going to have a Sam Drinks Coffee edition. Ta da! I'm sitting here in my studio a.k.a. bedroom, and sipping a delicious washed Colombian coffee from Square One Coffee. To give a little background, I subscribe to Misto Box. They send me a different coffee every month based on my coffee preferences, and I love being able to try all these different coffees from all different roasters across the country. It's like coffee Christmas every month, and Misto Box is Santa Claus. <laughs> this is not a paid ad, I just love them. Square One Coffee is in Pennsylvania, Lancaster, and Philadelphia, which is appropriate given that Chris lives in Philadelphia. So Chris, hey, it's like we're drinking coffee together. Anyway, I could geek out about Third Wave Coffee for a while, but instead, I'll just tell you to go watch the documentary Barista. If you know very little about third wave coffee, or if you know a lot, it doesn't matter. You'll still enjoy it. So now let's get back to the conversation with Chris. And we start by talking about one of my design heroes. Enjoy. I have to ask you about Paula Cher. She is one of my design heroes. And you got to work with her. On the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum's website redesign, so I'd love to know more about what that was like. Because I know she surprised you with something that she said about um, how how strictly to follow the brand guidelines that were already in place.
1: Sure, the you know the working together was basically uh, an afternoon, but you know there was there was a need to have discussion about what her and Pentagram you know, developed for the Holocaust Museum and how we are going to make it applicable in kind of a a modern digital way. The conversation was surprising because what Paula said was, I don't own the brand. Mm. You as practitioners of and shepherds of the brand own the brand. You understand the brand. You know what's appropriate and what's not. Therefore, all I can do is provide you kind of guidelines, but it's up to you to kind of make it real, mm-hmm. to make it live, make it live and take life. So for us, you know, when she said that, we realized that, OK, it's OK to take the orange you've picked and adjust it to make sure it met color accessibility needs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's OK to think about, you know, what's the actual best application of your typographic choices based on, you know, here's what's available. If we use all these typefaces, it's going to be too heavy, but mm-hmm. we can pare it down to one weight of Gothic, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so she was, she was, you know, basically saying, you know, you're the experts of your domain. What I've provided to you is not permanent. It's malleable. Adjust it as you need to. And one, as, as somebody who's a fan of Paul share, here's one surprising thing. Want to share with her, her? We saw her desktop, her computer desktop. It was a mess. It was it was like <laughs> yes, like like if you were like I, I don't even know how to describe it. it. It gave me like stress just looking at it.
0: <laughs> I love that peek behind the curtain. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I feel like she that was a really humble approach and a very wise approach at the same time. And I wondered how that had that actually played out on the website. So the orange was one example. And were there any other examples that come to mind?
1: One of the, the key aspects of our, our design was trying to maintain a sense of reverence around the content. Um, trying not to adorn the site, trying not to decorate the site, trying not to change or adjust anything that could be miscommunicated. <laughs> I mean, when you're dealing with history, like the Holocaust, any sort of changes to a photo could potentially change the context of what that photo is representing. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, they, they use the term artifacts. These are all artifacts. So if you say you have a photo of something historical that has occurred and you overlay text mm-hmm. on part of it, mm-hmm. you're potentially Changing or or altering that photo and obscuring part of the photo mm-hmm. and and therefore changing how it communicates. So our design tried to be very reverent and, and respect the evidence, mm-hmm. the artifacts, so that there was never any question about you know what you were seeing and the difference between content and like artifacts. And the site should just support everything instead of trying to kind of you know evoke some sort of manifestation of you know such a horrible event
0: right that's very thoughtful I like the detail of that
1: that said that project took four years to get launched and like the invention of responsive occurred yeah occurred during that and like web fonts occurred during that (laughs) so like what went live Versus where we started, like the industry had entirely changed. Four years. Mm-hmm.
0: Why? Bureaucracy. Oh my gosh. Paul Scher is one of my design heroes. Who are a couple of your design heroes?
1: In the last couple of years, I found myself more intrigued by furniture design and really mm-hmm. looking back at the mid-century work done um by the husband and wife Eames team and uh it's really amazing to see what they what they did um how they work together how their disciplines kind of allowed them to you know work in so many different mediums um as somebody who finds myself drawn to other things beyond just design I I, I find that very intriguing like how do I take my design skills and apply it to film? How do I take my design skills and apply it to interiors? Like, how do I take my design thinking skills and apply it to furniture mm-hmm. or whatever, poster design? Like, I don't, I don't really think of myself as a web designer mm-hmm. or a digital designer. I think of myself as a designer, and it just so happens that this is the medium I work the most in.
0: book should every designer read
1: so one of the first books that i would say changed me was called the dip by seth godin Um, i read it at a point in my career i think the year was 2007 or 2008 and i just wasn't quite sure what i was doing with myself i felt stagnant in my current position i didn't know professionally if this company was the right place for me and the dip while this isn't You know, a book for designers. I think it's a book for humans. Mm -hmm. Um, The dip helped me kind of see things in a different light and helped me kind of push through making harder decisions, knowing that there was going to be a positive change.
0: Yeah, Seth Godin is kind of awesome.
1: Yeah, he's he can kind of cut right to the point with certain things. You know, the dip is like a tiny little book. This Mm -hmm. is no opus. But the value I got from this tiny little book was monumental and really, really changed my my life and put me on a different course.
0: Yeah, I really liked Purple Cow that he wrote.
1: I'll have to put that on my list.
0: Okay, good. We'll swap books. Before you started your own thing, you were VP of Design at Happy Cog, and then before that, Creative Director. Um, You've done work for Ben & Jerry's Harvard, Viacom, and the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum and Zappos, of course. Uh, for a lot of us, especially when we're just starting, one of our markers of success is recognizable client names. And on top of that, you've won some Webby awards and other awards for your work. What is your definition of success?
1: Success is a, a incredibly hard thing to define in this world where you have to market yourself, <clears throat> I can't avoid putting you know a lot of these, these companies' names out there because that's just reality. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, you know, each and every one of those clients, we had a different experience working with them, and some good, some bad. Some I learned a lot, some I didn't. Um, but success is tough. Success, when you are younger in life, when you are striving to win awards, when you're striving to work for that great agency or that great company, or trying to get that specific client on your roster, success is is easy. It's not easy to get there, but it's easy to see. It's kind of clear mm-hmm. today in whatever year it is, 2016, as a guy who tries to keep the lights on, pay bills, mm-hmm. um, you know, take care of a. Nine-year-old and, and plan for, you know having another child on the way, like success means something entirely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, The success is being able to ensure that I have quality time in my life for things that aren't design-related. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> success means being able to balance a workload that ensures that I don't have to miss out on important things in life. Success means being able to, you know, take my daughter to the movies or a, you know, soccer match and enjoy the time and not be like having to think about, you know, what's this client response going to be. And mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a lot of time I've spent younger in my younger days, endlessly working because that to me at the time meant I was on the path to success, mm-hmm. but. At the end of the day, you know, those are hours you don't get back. You know, when my daughter was really young, you know I, I missed a lot of that stuff. And those are things you can never recover. And so today, success is having the ability to do work and um, be happy doing work I'm proud of. But it by no means defines success for me.
0: consider creativity a practice?
1: That's an intriguing question. And I think it's something that probably if you asked a hundred people, you'd have a hundred different answers. I do feel in some ways that creativity is like a muscle. I think the more you work it, the easier you can, you know, kind of tap back into it. At the same time, I think if you're struggling, you can put faith into a process. I think you can try to process yourself out of a slump if you're if you are focused and dedicated to to your task. You know uh, what I don't I don't believe in is I don't believe is creativity is some sort of you know God given right. You've been struck by a lightning bolt type of thing. I think creativity for most people is just the the label you get after many, many years of kind of dedication to a craft mm. and your ability to kind of cut through the clutter and find clarity.
0: So that seems like a very uh, mental, logical thinking interpretation of creativity. Is there ever a time where you feel like you aren't in control of your creativity? That something is... something is coming upon you or moving through you and you're like, where did that come from? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wish that happened more often. Maybe yeah. that's <laughs> I, I I don't know. I think the the closest I can come to that is working through a problem. There was a time when I was working on a project and <clears throat> we were creating some comps for a web page and nothing felt right. And I think inherently, if you are in the business of delivering work that communicates, you kind of know what's working and what isn't eventually. And if you haven't kind of exhausted yourself yet, you probably should push on. And despite the fact that, you know, the client meeting was the next day and we already had the prerequisite kind of amount of work we needed to show the client for this initial kind of concept round... I pushed on because I just didn't feel like the solution was enough. And lo and behold, I found some clarity. Um, I came up with a, another execution, and that execution, by far, exceeded you know the expectations of the client and like nailed it. Right? Mm-hmm. Like th- those moments happen, but I wouldn't chalk it up to some sort of divine intervention. It was just like. I don't feel satisfied with this Mm -hmm. and I'm going to keep trying to make it better.
0: One of the things that I wanted to ask you about the um, Holocaust Museum work was that okay you guys worked on it and then we are now in the present day multiple iterations later why do you think they didn't go back to the same your your agency your old agency why do you think that a, a business or an, or an organization moves on to the next agency or another agency or another agency
1: what I'm what I'm finding the longer I stay in this business is that just like on the agency side, the people turn over, so do the roles on the client side. And particularly in larger organizations, you know key people leave and change all the time. New directors come in, new VPs come in, and with them comes a slew of their own connections mm-hmm. or their own kind of biases about who and what should be doing. They don't have a relationship with you. They don't have. They don't care who hired you, why they hired you, or if you're around next week. They're going to bring, essentially, their stamp or their make their mark somehow um, on the organization. And the, one of the first places places they can do that is with you know the vendors they, they do or don't bring in.
0: Right. Do you think that leads to better design?
1: I don't know what better design is at this point, I think, you know, there's, there's problems we solve. If anyone, if any executive is worth their title, they should be looking at, you know, how well is a problem being solved? Or is it just, you know, is there work still to be done? So I, I hate to think that, you know, people come into organizations and you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater because they want to make a change or splash. But you know, the the pragmatic side of me recognizes that's going to happen regardless of how successful you are at helping a client solve problems. It's always like a 80% design, a technology problem, 20% human problem. (laughs) Right.
0: Psychology. Yeah. (laughs) Like social work. Yeah. (laughs) What do you think that Designers, what do you think that agencies need to be doing better or differently? Or differently and better?
1: (laughs) It's a tough one, but there's definitely room for improvement. Service industry is always gonna have its common pitfalls, which is not enough money, not enough time. You know, maybe there is some new model that allows you to invest yourself emotionally to do service work, but doesn't necessarily rely on having a single business owner at the helm. So Super Friendly is run by Dan Mall. He'll bring together people to pitch for work, little super teams. They pitch and win the work and they you know, do the work together, but then they separate when the work is done. So these little ad hoc combinations of talents that come together to do work but don't necessarily have a agency overhead, I think is probably potentially a a better way of doing this. This to me seems better because I don't have to have an office. I don't have to have a, you know, (laughs) what are all the, the crazy perks that these agencies try to do? Like all these stupid things like, you know, beer Thursdays and, um, you know, uh, beanbag chairs. Like, I don't I don't <laughs> care about any of that. That's you're not gonna win my interest as an employee with, you know, superficial perks. You're gonna win my interest with the the true value of doing the work. Why why do you want me there? Like am I gonna feel like I can contribute? And mm-hmm. when you come together, when you're kind of hand plucked by by Dan or Kevin to kind of come together to pitch for work and this team, you feel like immediately like, hey, I know why I'm here. Like, I know why they've tapped me on the shoulder to do this work. I feel already like I have uh, an important seat at the table. Mm-hmm. It's not quite, you know, scalable in the same model. You know, we're never going to become, those guys are not going to become, you know, huge or big spaceship, but at the end of the day, they're going to continue to do work that's rewarding and it's going to create, you know, success, their version of success for them and, and whoever is doing the work with them.
0: Mm-hmm. I just wonder what's next. I wonder what's next for the agency. I wonder what's next for, for web design. I wonder, I wonder what's next for print design. I wonder where it's going to go. What inspires you?
1: What will always inspire me is not so much the people around me doing design work itself, whereas you know there's people doing amazing stuff, but it, to me that's kind of an endless funnel. Like there's always going to be, be people doing amazing work, and you can spend hours and hours and hours gawking over people doing great work, and inevitably what you do is you sort of get dissatisfied with your own self and worth and I don't think that's healthy. and personally, you know what I, what I find inspiring these days is is very offline. so it's kind of like chairs. Right, so I I kind of developed a passion for mid-century furniture and trying to hunt down and find, you know, good, beautiful neglected pieces of furniture. That's a weird, different type of creative because it's design-related. If you've ever spent any time looking at mid-century furniture and and kind of the whole atomic design. craze that, you know, inspired a lot of this work at the time, not atomic design as in Brad Frost's atomic design, but like the atomic age that um, kind of dictated a lot of this, the style of, of furniture in the fifties, thanks to Sputnik and the Mm. blossoming space age. You know, that's, that to me is kind of a, a safe haven for creativity where I don't have to feel like I'm going back to the same, place everyone else is going back to. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to design a website and I'm going to go look at other websites to design a website. I I don't really prescribe to that anymore. So I think by finding another outlet for design-related thinking or design-related inspiration or Mm -hmm. design-related hobbies is important. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people, you know, make furniture. Some people paint, some people draw. Uh, I, nowadays I try to find beautiful old furniture and like refinish it.
0: That's cool.
1: I was driving my daughter to summer camp last year and I found somebody who threw out seven beautifully Danish, beautifully designed Danish chairs that were neglected over the years. And, uh, I loaded them up my car and we took them home and went through the process of refinishing them and getting them recorded. And now they're kind of like the centerpiece in my house and oh, it's also cool. just just a great story too because when you realize you know they're made you know 60 years ago by a craftsman in, in Denmark and now they're getting saved and mm-hmm. used again like they're they're an heirloom I'm gonna be able to pass down I think it comes back to my point about what we do in the screen design being so so temporal but, like, here's something I've put time into
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I've invested time into that's going to last.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, that story and however we – whatever method we use to convey that story, you know, some is more temporal than others. But it, that's temporal. But the story itself is what lasts and that's what the point is.
1: Absolutely. Like I'll always be able to tell the story about how Paula's share's desktop was completely missing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like the website, at the end of the day, it's going to be, you know, it's gone. Most of it's gone already and it's going to be gone forever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I think I have some screenshots, but. Yeah, and Wayback
0: Machine probably has. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> but it's so what what's going to survive is our, our memories of the experience. And, you know, I'm thankful to have a lot of those, um, you know, doing the work I've been, I've been doing. Um, but it's, it's important, I think, to have a balance. I think it, it makes me feel more well-rounded and I don't like to use the word creative because I don't think creative is a, is a, is a adjective we should describe people Mm. as, but It kind of taps into, I think, more of the core me Mm -hmm. when I know I have this other thing that I do that is, to me, creative and fulfilling, but doesn't necessarily have to do with what I do, you know, for work.
0: You've done quite a bit of speaking did you set out to do that or how did you break into that
1: I didn't set out to do that but at at happy cog when, when I was doing my tenure there one of their core values was that our our staff will share their knowledge so I was thankful to have people around me who were willing to shake me out of my lack of experience or lack of initiative to, to find these experiences and, and put me in front of people that, that knew I could do this. So you have to get comfortable presenting in front of people. It's either your colleagues, your coworkers, mm-hmm. your clients. And if you're comfortable talking about the work you're doing and creating, mm-hmm. chances are you're, you're comfortable talking about it in front of your peers.
0: So for someone who wants to get into speaking – how do you think they should do it?
1: I would look for local organizations. Like for example, here in Philadelphia, we have a couple always hungry for people who want to share. And so that would be a place I would start. Start, you know, start small. You don't mm-hmm. need to go out and try to submit to Event Apart or How Interactive. Just think about what's in your own community. Mm-hmm. Like connections to who you are local with, make connections and, and share your story. You know, one of the good things about, um, the last firm I worked for is, you know, the, the owners, they were, they were always saying to the staff, you have something to share. You just may not know what it is, but it's valuable. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, your, your effort is to just kind of like chip away at the the block of granite and mm-hmm. figure out what that is because everyone, has their experiences. They know, you know, they, they've done things, but it's just trying to figure out what you want to say and Mm -hmm. share.
0: Yeah. I like that too. Yeah. That's part of my philosophy that we all have something to share, something to contribute.
1: (laughs) Well, I hope so because I think, you know, in this, in this shared community, right? Uh, we, we shouldn't be scared to contribute.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I'm saying this, I need to take this advice for myself too.
0: (laughs) We all need to take that advice.
1: And I'd recommend becoming a business owner, even if it is for a short amount of time, to feel what it's like to be on the other side of that, mm-hmm. especially for designers. I've seen a lot of designers who want to just do their craft. I'm, I don't care about anything else. I just want to do my work. I'm mm-hmm. good at the X, and mm-hmm. I, want to be, I want to do X. That's great, and there will always be a role for you, but I think – it helps to kind of take a, take a step back and understand the context in which you're working. Businesses don't just happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They just don't automatically occur. There's no like hit hit the business button on the <laughs> Mac and, and make it happen. Right. And I think the more you understand the bigger picture as a practitioner, the more kind of empathy you'll have for people who run businesses, mm-hmm. who are trying to help you be the practitioner you want to be. For all of us, you know, there's need more empathy in the world We're, mm-hmm. <laughs> not just talking about design in general right. but um but I think you can definitely start start local at global right and mm-hmm. start with your own practice and think about you know what gives you the ability to to do the work you're doing
0: on a daily basis yeah it's really 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 easy to be judgmental towards people when you have no experience in their shoes right I was uh just thinking back to my judgments on my bosses when I had no experience being a boss or running a business um (laughs) yeah I've a part of me wants to go back and and I have with one of them and actually apologize or thank them for what they did because I had no no clue
1: I I think at some point there needs to be a reality check in in the schools for design practices. You, I don't think you can separate the practice of design from the business of design. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see a more dedicated effort in the education system to teach you know, professional practice as a core component of the business we do. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, it's like, it's hard to imagine that, that they're going to have a system that continually pumps out designers that have no understanding of what it takes to do the business aspect of, right. of what it takes to do this work. Mm-hmm.
0: Where can we find you on social media?
1: I am active, sporadically on Twitter at ccashdollar.com uh, on Instagram at cashdollar. That's probably the best place to find me until I can spread my wings a bit more and get Cash Dollar Design off the ground. Uh, my website, chriscashdollar.com is a great place to just kind of check in to see if I've done any great talks like this or have any upcoming speaking events and what's happening um, there. You can definitely tap into my social calendar, limited as it may be.
0: Yeah, and he has some good things that he's written about listed on his website so go check him out make sure you check out the podcast notes at designersdrink.com thank you for listening if you know of a designer who I should have on the show or a question or an issue that you want discussed shoot me an email at sam at designitplease.com and if you love this podcast share it with a friend subscribe to it Rate and review it. Everything is wonderful. Here from Austin, Texas, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, signing off, Designers Drink. Farewell.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Sam, for having me.
0: Thank you, Chris.